My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School Online. Uh, happy Father's Day to those of you to whom that applies. And if somebody's near Barry Cole, just nudge him and wake him up and tell him Jesus knows. It's okay. Uh, I just had a little hiccup in the recording, so if it happens again, just bear with me and we'll uh, click some more buttons here and see if we can push through. So uh, if you got your Bibles, you want to go ahead and grab uh, your scripture and go to Mark chapter 8. Um, we're going to jump around a little bit today because we're going to talk about some of the importance of phrases as well as individual words. Uh, but as we do each week, I want to uh, plant this question in your head. What is God doing in you through his word uh, from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? And those of you that are friends with me on Facebook may uh, pair up something that I did this week online with today's actual lesson. So we'll see if you're paying attention to that. Uh, for those of you that are not members of Stuart Heights or familiar with what we do on Father's Day, uh, Father's Day at Stuart Heights is Jersey Day, and I thought we should continue that online. So I'm wearing one of my uh, favorite jerseys. This is uh, Jordan Matthews. Uh, he was a Vanderbilt wide receiver in uh, college, and uh, he's most recently played for the 49ers. Um, I couldn't get a number seven jersey in time, otherwise I'd have worn that, but uh, got 81 for Jordan Matthews, so there we go. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to, uh, for those of you that have the small uh, scripture ESVs, uh, the journals there, I would encourage you to get that. Grab a copy of your handout. Uh, we've got that available at OurSundaySchool.com. You can go and click on the Read tab, or uh, I think Julie posted a link in the comments of the Facebook uh, video just a few minutes ago, so you can click on that as well. Hit it with a bigger hammer. <laughs> Unfortunately, Chris, that doesn't solve all problems in the world, but it's okay. <laughs> You're going to make me laugh at that now. All right, so I'm going to read through uh, Mark chapter 8, and we'll come back and talk about what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far. So Mark chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? 
Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So if you got your handout, go ahead and grab your handout. And I left the question up on the screen for a couple of minutes here while I read. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So think through that question with me. So what is God doing in you? So we have, we have seen a tremendous amount of Jesus' ministry so far in the Gospel of Mark. We have seen him be introduced. We have seen him call his disciples. We have seen him uh, have question and answer sessions with crowds. We have seen him do miracles. We have seen him feed thousands and thousands of people. We have seen him engage personally. We have seen him engage publicly. There should be things that the Holy Spirit is uh, convicting us of, encouraging us with, or calling us to do uh, that 
we have seen so far and experienced as we engage with the scriptures. So just be thinking through those things as we go through the lesson today. So I just want to welcome a couple of folks. So I see uh, the Johnsons, uh, the Coles again, uh, the Velosons, the Archers, the Cordeses. Um, it's got the Greggs. Hey, hello everybody in North Carolina. Uh, Brian Willard. Hey man. Uh, the McGarveys, the Landers, and Janikas. Excellent. Good morning, guys. And uh, if you guys are not friends with uh, Brittany on Facebook, uh, send her a friend request. Or Brittany, maybe you can just make those pictures public. But what your husband did in the quarantine, I feel uh, woefully and completely embarrassed at my lack of productivity, given what uh, Danius was able to do in the last couple of months in quarantine. That is just stunningly unbelievable work. Um, and just wanted to give you a shout out on that. All right, so let's take a look at uh, Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're looking at starting at verse 11. Uh, for the literary structural observations, uh, I've just listed here, the Pharisees confront Jesus again, right? We just continue to do this uh, over and over and over and over again. And, and we're, we have the benefit of knowing how the story ends, and we have the benefit of the author telling us the purpose for these interactions as we go through. So we, we know what this is all about, but from the disciples' perspective, if you if you pay attention to how well they paid attention, and if you pay attention to how well they were getting and understanding what's going on, I think it's very likely that they wouldn't have completely understood what these Pharisees and the scribes and the priests and whatnot were doing as they were engaging Jesus. So um, one of the things that Jesus is always doing, he's not just acting in a holy way. He's modeling for us how we should act when we engage uh, individuals and scenarios uh, in our own lives. So if we look at uh, verse 11, uh, yes, that's exactly right, Sherry, that's exactly right. Um, yes, do you not yet understand? Does, does he not just keep saying that over and over and over again, Amy? It's just a, um, it, it bothers me from a, how much do I not understand? How much am I not getting? How much am I resisting the Holy Spirit uh, teaching and drawing me to be more like Jesus Christ? So it's a, um, yes, very much so. Oh, and the barbers are here, yes. Uh, no doubt dressed in that awful blue. So there you go. All right, so verse 11. Uh, so the Pharisees, and again, just as a recap, this is the separatist group, uh, the, this exclusively religious, this pious Everything uh, external needs to be spit-shined and polished and look good, but on the inside, just deadness, just absolute deadness. Um, so the Pharisees came and began to argue. Uh, this is a present active, so this is a lot of arguing. This is over and over and over arguing. Uh, they began to argue with him. Uh, and, and this word argue shows up several other times in uh, Mark. I want you to look at Mark nine fourteen if you would, for just a second. Mark 9, 14. So next chapter over. So when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. Look at 9, 16. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And then go over to 12, 28. You'll see this is a pattern as you go through Mark. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. That's the same word for arguing. One another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, 
what's the greatest commandment? So this is, this is something that is uh, habitually occurring regularly over the course of Mark's gospel. If you read the other gospels, you'll see this as well, that people just came up and wanted to argue. Um, and I'm sure you've never had anybody in your life that just wanted to come up and argue about theological things, right? And, and the beautiful thing here is that Jesus gives us an example of here's a really good option of something to do. So the scribes began to argue with him, seeking, this is a present ask of participles, this is a repeatedly, uh, repeated behavior, and this is uh, desiring or, or uh, seeking to do something. I've highlighted a couple of verses here. So Mark eleven eighteen, would you see that this is a pattern as well? So the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, right? 12, 12, Mark 12, 12, when, when they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. See the fear-driven action here? This is, this is usually a good, um, a good question to ask. Is that, am I being driven, am I doing this action out of a fear of something? And if I am, we should really pump the brakes here. Um, Mark 14, 1, it was now two days before the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth, right? Why would you want to do it by stealth? Well, they didn't want to rally up the crowd, right? And then to kill him. Uh, Mark 14, 55, you see, this is just a pattern in their lifestyle here. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. They're trying to drum up charges. They're trying to find a witness that'll say something about him. Uh, and then, I love that we get to see the last time this word is used in Mark's gospel, Mark 16, 6. Um, I would argue that it's fully redeemed at this point. It's been drugged through the mud, this word. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And that is a beautiful uh, way to seek the risen Lord, as opposed to seek to try to usurp his authority, to seek to try to uh, capture him, to arrest him, to uh, silence his voice. These are all uh, very, very evil, wicked intentions. And we get to see this from the specific words that Mark uses to describe the Pharisees. So they're arguing and they're seeking from him a sign. And sign's just an indication. Uh, I won't go through all the, the verses that I've highlighted there, but uh, signs are... Uh, just what you would think, right? This is some indication that something is occurring and there's some connected significance between a couple of events. So a sign from heaven to test him. Now, th this, is an, this is an interesting word, this word test. Because if you look at the first time this is used in Mark's gospel, Mark 1.13, this word is used of a specific person. Mark 1, 13, let's look at verse 12. So the spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. So Mark establishes the meaning of this word and pegs it to satanic activity, right? And then we look at 8, 11, and we see that the Pharisees are trying to test him this way. And then you flip over to Mark 10, 2, and you see that a Pharisee came up in order to test him, asking him some theoretically trick question, right? And then you get to 12, 15, and says, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? And these are again with the Pharisees. So the Satan and the Pharisees had similar actions 
and intentions, right? Because Satan wanted to derail God's plan for Jesus' life to get him to go and accept Satan's gift of uh, worldwide authority. Uh, it's staggering to me that he thought that Jesus might accept this, knowing that Jesus already had worldwide authority. He had universal authority, right? Um, so you, you see this, I want you to see this connection between the behavior of the Pharisees and this satanic activity earlier in Mark. So they asked him for a sign from heaven to test him. And then we get to verse 12. And he sighed deeply. Now, this is, if you remember back to, uh, what was it, 734, Mark 734, we talked about he sighed deeply before he put his, uh, he says, uh, Ephatha, before he puts his uh, fingers in the guy's ears and heals him. This is not the exact same word. Um, this is actually uh, the same root word, but uh, this is a bit more intense. And it's the only time this word is used, I think, in the entire New Testament, uh, this Greek word. So he sighs deeply. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read it in English, and I want to point out some of the, the words in Greek, just so that we're all on the same page. So he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. So I'm going to look at the first part. So he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? So I want to look at a couple of things. If you, if you look at your handout in the middle of page uh, 247, you'll notice that there's not a bracketed phrase after the word in, I-N. It's because the word in doesn't show up in the Greek. So the, the text, uh, you know, just the, word, the, the Greek words here, and sighing his spirit said, because there's no bracket after the word and either. Um, I, I would give you two possible uh, ways to think about this. One is, this might not have been an audible statement. It might have been something that he said internally. So that's scenario one, because we, we actually don't see that there's a connection to something he said out loud. It looks like it's something that his spirit said. And if his spirit said it, then it might have been something out loud, but it would almost have been a... a uh, and an automatic kind of a response type thing than a calculated, um, I'm going to get in trouble here in just a second, so I don't want to go too far with this, but it, rather than a, uh, a verbal uh, stop and think and consider and respond back. So this is a sigh deeply in his spirit, uh, sigh deeply his spirit said, and then we get to the real tricky stuff. So why does this generation, now this word generation can mean a couple of different things. So one, it could mean the generation of people that were literally existing on the earth at the time Jesus was there. So this 20, 30, 40 year period of time. Uh, it can also mean uh, an age. Uh, so the uh, a longer generation, if you would, of, uh, of time. And I've given you a couple of examples there in, in Mark's gospel to go and look up if you like. But he's basically saying, why do you seek a sign um, so why are you why are you looking for this? And and then we get to what I would argue to this point in Mark might be the trickiest Greek that I've experienced. So buckle up. So he says truly, which is the the word amen. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, and it's just uh, transliterated into Greek as amen. And it means uh, surely or trustworthy or, or this, is, this is right and good. So when you hear someone say amen to someone else that might be speaking or preaching, 
This is a way of affirming that what they have said is right. right? You wouldn't say uh, amen to something that you thought was wrong. That, that we'd be affirming something that was wrong. So Jesus is saying, what I am about to say is true. Now I want you to look at the words here. So in English it says, truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then in Greek, you get the word amen, you get the word lego for say, and then if you look at the word you, there's, there's not a bracket before that comma, there's a bracket after that comma, which means there's a word there that really isn't translated directly in English, this word I, uh, E-I, and it means if or whether. And then you see there's no bracket after the word no, the word no is not there in the Greek. And you see the word for sign, you see the word for given, you see the word for this, uh, and then the word for generation. So if you, if you read it literally, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a great big flag up here and say, and some of you are going to roast me for this, and quite frankly, I don't care because I'm going to explain it in just a second. Literally is not always the best way to understand individual words. So literally, this is what it would read. Uh, amen. Uh, I say, sign, given this generation. Or you could say it this way, amen, sign, uh, if, or whether, uh, I'm sorry, uh, amen, uh, I say, if, sign, given, this generation. You're like, well, it didn't sound like no. Good. I'm glad you picked up on that. Because not everything is literal. Sometimes it's about phrases and not about individual words. So, Pause on the Greek here for just a second. Let's switch over to English. I'll give you an example. Uh, the one Gary typically gives this when he talks about this concept is pulling your leg. So if, if, I, if I told you that I saw two people and they were in a conversation and one of them got frustrated and the other one didn't know why, well, that's just because he was pulling his leg. Now, a, a non-English speaker might look at that phrase that I said and say, why would he reach down and pull on his... I mean, that seems really strange, right? And we would understand that that's a phrase that means I'm kidding. Well, there's one of those here in Greek. But the challenge is that the individual words in Greek are spread out and they have a word in between them in the English translation because Greek word order is different than English word order. So the order in which words show up in the Greek is not the order in which we read them in English. It would sound like Yoda was reading the Bible. And if you ever... If you, if you ever look at a Greek New Testament and read the words in that order, it will sound a lot like Yoda. It is just a very odd word order. So English translators move the word order around so that it flows fluidly and smoothly so that we can understand it. It's a tremendous gift that they've given to us. So we have this phrase here, this I and then didami. And when you have I and this very specific variant of didami, together, and they're actually side by side in the original. There, there's a gap of the word uh, sign in between them here in the English. But when you have this particular phrase, it's actually a head nod to something that was happening in Old Testament Hebrew. And it happens in Old Testament Hebrew several different times. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, the first is uh, Numbers 32.11. So Numbers 32.11. So I'll show you this. 
So it says, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. So there's this uh, surely none of, right? This is, this is not going to happen kind of a concept. And then the next one is Deuteronomy 135, just a couple of pages beyond. Deuteronomy 135, it's 235, it says, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. Right? So it's, it's not going to happen, this kind of a concept. So that's what, that's what the first century Jewish Greek speakers would have used to reflect a Old Testament Hebrew phrase of not going to happen. So if you read it literally, it doesn't make a lot of sense because the, the meaning doesn't transfer over from the Greek word to English translation. If you understand the phrase, however, it makes all sorts of sense. And what Jesus is saying is, amen, I'm saying this is not going to happen a sign given to this generation. You're like, oh, well, that's just about exactly the way my English Bible translates it. Yes, which is why one of the things that we should do on a regular basis is give thanks to God for people who have gone and studied and worked and dedicated their lives to understanding a different and dead language like Koine Greek. Nobody speaks Koine Greek anymore. They, they, there's Greek is spoken in the world, but it's not the same version of Greek. It's a substantially different version of Greek. If you handed the Greek New Testament to somebody in Greece and asked them to read it, they would, I've got some words here and there, but this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's, it's a different language. Um, so I'm grateful that we have good translations that help us understand and bridge the gap between the actual literal meaning of the words and how we can get to understand it in English. Which brings me to a caution that we should think through when studying the Bible the way that we do this, when looking at individual words. There is a time to zoom in all the way down into the nuance of the parsing of the verbs, and there's a time to pull back out and say, those individual words, it didn't. It didn't seem like that's right in that context. It seemed like I'm missing something here. Great. So you might ask the question, Jim, how'd you figure that out? Great. I'm glad you asked that question because, yes, there's always a Star Wars reference, Josh. Um, th there's uh, very helpful books that uh, use, um, I've actually got, well, you can't see them very much. Well, you can see the gap right there, right? Because uh, I've got them sitting over here right now. Uh, but there's a, a helpful book from uh, Danny Aiken uh, called Building a Theological Library. He's the president of the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I always get the seminary names mixed up, so I have to look every time. Uh, but what this book is, this book is a book that will suggest what other books you might want to go get if you want to have helps to study the Bible. Because I promise you, I did not figure that out, that explanation of those, that phrase mattered, and it was a head nod to a Hebrew phrase that meant this other, that was not something that I got on my own. That was something that I found in one of the resources. One of the things that I like about this book in specific is it'll tell you uh, what type of book are you looking for. So are you looking for, nope, wrong page. <laughs> are you looking for 
a technical resource? Are you looking for a pastoral resource or are you looking for a devotional resource? Now, most people, when they think about a commentary or a Bible study aid, are thinking about a pastoral or devotional type of a work. Uh, a devotional type of a work is going to give you questions to consider, right? These are the things that you might, uh, that you see sold at Lifeway very often. Uh, there's a so-and-so devotional. Great. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with devotionals provided they don't completely and totally reinterpret the New Testament like anything and everything to do with Jesus' calling. If you have those books, please throw them away. We have a book that tells us exactly what Jesus said. We don't need another book that guesses at things that additional things that Jesus might say. So stop using those. But devotional books are just going to ask you questions or give you uh, kind of surface level observations about what's going on. Pastoral resources are going to be things that are going to help a pastor exegete, draw out truth from the text, and then put it in a way that the people who don't have a background in original language or uh, translations uh, can easily understand. So think about pastoral uh, com commentaries being more along the lines of getting right to the apply and personalize sections of our Sunday school. And then the top one, the technical, are going to be things that are going to be intended for uh, folks that have a little bit of understanding of the original languages. And if you've been in our Sunday school class for very long, you qualify. So you, you know enough about the original language of Greek. Um, that there's a reason we haven't done one of these word-by-word -word studies through Hebrew, because Hebrew is really, really hard, and I don't understand it well enough to do it yet. I'm trying to learn, and hopefully in a couple of years we'll be ready to do an Old Testament book like this, but not right now. It's really hard. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of examples. So uh, Christ-centered exposition. Uh, this, if you've ever heard uh, Brian Smith uh, preach and hold up a resource, 50-50 odds it's one of these in this series. It's a helpful resource, uh, but it's going to be a very pastoral and with some devotional content. You're, you're not going to get into helps that are going to help you understand a specific uh, word in the original language. Um, the the NIGTC, New International Greek Testament Commentary. Uh, this is a resource that I was told was really, really helpful. I have found almost no value in it whatsoever for Mark. I've used a couple other volumes in other uh, books of the New Testament. Had really, really good uh, input from them. Mark's was not a very good copy. And then we get to uh, the Gospel According to Mark, and this is the Pillar New Testament commentary. This is one of a very large series. I'll, obviously, the, the whole New Testament's done. Uh, and this is by uh, Edwards. And uh, this is the book that I found, the actual answer, it's on page 236, in a footnote down here at the bottom. And <laughs> this is listed as a technical commentary. So this is going to get into uh, why the Greek is structured this way, what the individual words mean. Uh, it's probably been the resource that has helped me the most when I get stuck or hung up in our current series on Mark on a particular Greek word or phrase. Um, I have other resources that I use to help with individual words. Uh, individual theological words are really helped with using the uh, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Super, super helpful work. And then um, you can't quite see it. Let's see if you can see it if I just move over a little bit. Yep, there we go. This book, the Greek English Lexicon, uh, is a really helpful book for uh, determining 
uh, how a word was used elsewhere outside of Scripture. Um, and I'm happy to send you details on any of these books. But the thing that I like about the thing that I like about this particular book is that it lists all of those resources as these are things that you want to go think through. So if you want a copy of this, I'll put a link because uh, he actually makes it free available online in a PDF. So I put a link in the uh, comments for this. All right, so let's see. Oh, Gary's here. Yeah, tag yourselves. There you go. Great. Oh, and happy anniversary, uh, Gary and Nancy. 40 years. That's pretty awesome. So uh, I can't believe you married her when she was nine, but uh, that's fantastic. So um, happy anniversary, guys. Love you guys and grateful for your faithfulness to Stuart Heights. All right, so back to uh, Mark eight twelve. So why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign. This is not going to happen. Uh, it's going to be given to this generation. And to me, one of the most helpful things that's happening in this uh, very small amount of text, in case you're wondering, why is there just a few verses this week? Well, because I wanted to talk about that really, <laughs> that phrase, as opposed to the individual words. One of the most instructive things in this entire text for this week's lesson are the next four words. And he left them. The text doesn't say he hung around to argue. It doesn't say he answered their 20 questions. It doesn't say he endured their, uh, their error. It doesn't say that he uh, tried to instruct. He just left. And quite frankly, there's a time when people have made their motives clear that they are not seeking a relationship with Jesus, but are rather seeking to usurp him, to show how amazing they are for their own self-exaltation. There's a time to just leave, and it's okay. And there's other parts of the Bible that actually explicitly talk about this, but Jesus, what he does here is he models it for us, which is a really helpful thing. Because sometimes it's okay to just leave. So, verse 13. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now, you'll notice that the word boat doesn't have a bracket around it right after because the word boat is not in the original. But the the obvious assumption from the text is one of the words that the uh, the ESV supplies for us that's not in the original. But the obvious context of this is that you, you got into something and went to the other side. Well, every time we've talked about the other side so far, it's been the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So we think he got into a boat. And when you see this word got into, it always talks about a boat. So we feel pretty comfortable saying that there's a, a boat here. I will also notice... I want you to draw out and notice that this is the, uh, from in Mark's gospel, I believe, uh, if not the last, one of the last times that Jesus gets into a boat and goes somewhere. Because at this point, he's done a tremendous amount of teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. And he gets into a boat and he goes to the other side. He's teaching and teaching and healing and healing and teaching. He gets into a boat and he goes to the other side. So you kind of get this idea that he's just zigzagging across the Sea of Galilee because that's exactly what he was doing. He stayed on the move quite a bit. And if you want to think through why, ask yourself, why would he regularly get into a boat and go to the other side? What does that give him an opportunity to do? 
I would argue that there's two things that are really obvious that it gives him the opportunity to do. One, he was fully human, gives him an opportunity to rest. And two, he's still a rabbi. It gives him an opportunity to be alone with his disciples and to teach and to explain. So we see a lot of this going on in the boat, like the, these lessons in the boat. That's probably a good, there's a good uh, series title for you, Darla, Lessons in the Boat. <laughs> and then the last chapter would be, and one lesson outside the boat, right? Whatever. So a couple of uh, applications and personalizations, and then we'll finish up here. So application point number one, um, there is a wrong way to seek Christ. There is a wrong way to seek Christ uh, for self-exaltation because these Pharisees were showing up trying to one-up the Savior. And I think I said it last week, but the beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things about Jesus' life is that the more you dig in and engage and examine, the more beautiful and perfect and holy that we see that he actually is. He gets better on closer examination. And the Pharisees get more hollow and shallow and empty and dead upon further examination. So there is a wrong way to seek Christ. So what do we do uh, with that? What's the personalization? Uh, number one, seek him for him, right? Jesus is enough. Uh, the benefits will come, but but nothing is better than he is. You know, the, you've hopefully heard this said, but the greatest thing about heaven that we have to look forward to one day is not the street of gold or the mansions or that all our friends and family that have repented and placed their faith in Christ will be there or that we can meet these Old Testament and New Testament heroes of the faith and that we, it's none of that. That's all just, that's just window dressing. The greatest thing about heaven is that our Savior is there, is that God himself is there. He is far better than any or all of his benefits put together. So seek him for him, desire to know him. We do this type of, of study to get to know God himself. And how wonderful is it that he's enabled us to actually understand these things, it's beautiful. Application point number two, there is a right way to leave angry or argumentative people. There's a right way to leave angry or argumentative people. Uh, So what do we do with that? Personalization number two, state the truth and leave. So what did Jesus do? No sign will be given to this generation. And he left. Okay. You know what that was? That was the most flawlessly perfect way to handle that scenario. And I'm glad that he did. And I'm glad that we have it recorded so that we can learn and grow and understand. And then, uh, I don't know that I've ever done this before, but application, I've got a postscript in my notes here. Uh, Bible study is sometimes very difficult. Um, Bible study is sometimes very difficult. So what do we do with that? Well, that's your homework. We pray, we hear, we think, we talk, we pray, we hear, we think, we talk, we pray, we hear, we think, we talk, we pray, we hear, we think, we talk again and again and again and again. Because this is how we grow. This is how the Spirit uses the Word of God in our lives through prayer, and meditation, and thinking, and engaging with other believers. So that is your homework. Uh, I will encourage you that if you're interested in subscribing to any of our resources, you can do so at OurSundaySchool.com on the subscribe tab. Um, If you want to become a member of Our Sunday School, you can also do that there. Just click on the About Us tab and uh, listen to or watch 
the uh, lesson that is on that page. And then uh, I think I'm about a minute and a half over today. I apologize for that. So wrap up with any prayer requests. Put those in the comments. Uh, lean in, engage, and pray for somebody that's not physically with you. And then go to the Stuart Heights uh, Facebook, YouTube, or website and uh, engage with us for the 10 o'clock service. And I, I believe I mentioned it last week, but the Hickson campus, where we usually attend our physical in-person, our Sunday school gathering, uh, we'll start recording those in a few months once everything is set up and working well and uh, volunteers are trained accordingly. So uh, look forward to being with you in person again uh, in the future. But until then, I'm praying for you every day. I love you guys and uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.